Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple. Uh, we've got a lot on the docket today, guys. The Metsies continue to shock the baseball world. We got everyone's favorite Southpaw, Jerry Blevins. He's going to be joining us shortly to discuss, well, a little bit of everything. Uh, let's jump right in. These Metropolitans continue to pick themselves up. Um, do you remember those issues with runners in scoring position to start the year? Yeah, me neither. Uh, all the injuries that have given way to the next level of Mets contributors doing their thing, it's been spectacular. The results are there. The Mets are, are moving right along. Uh, going 4-3 and three out west against the Diamondbacks and Padres and then splitting two against Baltimore leaves the Mets three and a half games up in the NL East entering Thursday. Uh, and the Padres and Cubs are heading into City, uh, City Field beginning on Friday. So however this is happening, we're not arguing with it. It's the most fun we've had in a really long time. Last year was a, um, a rough one. Uh, I just hope no one sold their soul to make this happen. It's that unbelievable. The pitching staff's been lights out. Uh, entering Thursday, the rotation's 2.88 ERA was best in the majors. Their 6.9 wins above replacement, nice, was good for fourth in baseball. Um, the 3.15 ERA as a staff is second in all of Major League Baseball to the Padres. Again, the, the, the pitchers are absolutely spearheading this effort right now. Um, we talked on Thursday, uh, yeah, Thursday at the Apple, uh, about Taiwan Walker's contribution so far. And, that, of course, that's on top of Jacob deGrom, who we've spoken a lot about. Uh, Marcus Stroman, same deal. But after Walker's seven-inning, one-run, nine-strikeout performance against the Orioles on Wednesday, you know, he's now got the sixth-best ERA in baseball, 2.07. He's got the least home runs allowed per nine and the least home runs allowed total among all qualified pitchers, two home runs total and 0.30 home runs per nine, which is just mind-blowing. He's throwing both fastballs, the four-seam and the sinker, um, just absolutely pounding the zone with him. And it's allowed his secondary pitches, all three of them, the curve, the slider, and the splitter, to, to really flourish. Uh, we've discussed here more than a few times that the, the key to success on the mound is keeping a hitter guessing. Whether you're incorporating you know, spin direction or just replicating your, your motion every time. And The point is you want to give hitters the least amount of tips as to what's coming before it's there. Or keep them guessing until the very last minute because then you throw them all off. But um, between what Walker's bringing, between what the rest of the rotation is bringing, the bullpen... Again, the, the pitchers, uh, the pitching has been the Mets' saving grace this season. Um, it was supposed to be even better, and they're missing, you know, two very important key parts. I know Syndergaard wasn't expected back for a while, but you know Carrasco was, and guys just keep on stepping up. It's um, it's been great, and and I know I've said it a million times, but what we're seeing take place now, it's it's teetering on magical. Everyone you'd expect to be leading the offensive charge now is finally doing it. Uh, Francisco Lindor looks like the player the Mets signed him to, uh, to that big mega deal back in uh, February, um, or March, I should say. Uh, Dom Smith's shaking off the cobwebs. He's fallen back into his 2020 breakout ways since returning from the IL. Pete Alonzo's been raking three homers in two games in Baltimore. I think that's proof positive that the, the polar bear's back on his grind. Uh, and he stated it, he, he said it in spring training, he's going to be very selective at the plate, and he's chasing noticeably less this season. He's actually making more contact on pitches outside the strike zone, too. 
if you look at Fangraphs, um, they're under his plate discipline field. It's actually better than it was in 2019. And, you know, we love progress here. So in 2019, he was swinging at just about 35% of the balls, of balls outside the strike zone, making contact 62% of the time. Uh, in 2020, those numbers dropped considerably. Uh, he swung a little less. Well, not much less, about a percentage point less, 33.4% of the pitches outside the zone, but only made contact 54.2% of the time. This year, Pete's swinging at considerably less pitches outside the zone than he did in 2019. He's down to 32.7% O-swing percentage. That's from 34.8% in 2019. Um, and he's making contact on 61.2% of those pitches. You know, it's... um. It's really impressive what he's been able to do and still keep his power stroke there. And as you can see, he's just right back to doing it. The hand injury really naturally slowed him down, but it really appears that he's moved past it. Um, and, you know, that's what really what it's been all about for this team, making progress, get a little better every day, get that W, try to do it again tomorrow. And moving forward, even as guys come back, that message can't waver. And Louis Rojas has done a really, really good job of keeping that message uh, consistent. Focus on today. You'll find a way. Uh, and just keep it moving. Um, onward and upward. We love it, baby. Jacob DeGrom gets the ball against Blake Snell in the opener against the Padres on Friday. Marcus Stroman takes the ball on Saturday. I might be in the house on Saturday. If you guys see me, of course, say hello. Uh, and then Joey Lucchese gets another shot at his old teammates on Sunday to close out that series. Um, you got the Cubs coming in next after that. This week is really going to be a litmus test. The Padres and the Cubs are both playing really, really good baseball. Um, you know, hopefully we'll be back on Monday with some more magic to report. But we're going to take a quick break. We're here from our sponsors. And come back with Jerry Blevins. Have a little fun there. Hang tight. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel. Because right now, you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. It's my pleasure to welcome former Mets, A's, Nats, and Braves pitcher, and of course, Flushing fan favorite, uh, fan favorite, excuse me, Jerry Blevins back to the show. Jerry, first off, congratulations on a terrific career, and uh, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to come chat. How's it going? Great, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, the, the, the 
career spanned a few teams, but uh, as you know, and as yours does too, my loyalty lies in, in Queens. And I, I was going to say, there haven't been many players the fans really embraced as you were during your time here. I guess a, a sub three ERA over a few seasons will do that. Um, <laughs> was there any consolation in coming back and finishing things up in New York this spring? Uh, yeah, man. If, if It was a huge consolation. It was, it was, the ability to end my career on a note where I felt comfortable saying goodbye. Um, COVID put a, a damper in my ability to kind of play my last season. And there were other opportunities available, but the Mets really went, went out of their way to, to reach out and make things really easy for me to, to kind of give it one more chance. And uh, I'm glad I did. I, I felt really good about my ability to, to get people out and, the opportunity didn't didn't quite work out, you know, as a storybook ending, but I, I literally couldn't ask for for a better send off. Um, I was happy to 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 go back to spring training in Port St. Lucie and, and be a part of an organization that I love. Uh, so it was definitely a, a great way to finish the career. I mean, for a while there, both in Oakland and in Queens, you know, you were virtually untouchable. You know, that big swooping curve, just, you know, belittling lefties inside. Righties didn't fare much better, but, uh, you know, it was a joy to watch. And I guess finding that groove as a ball player and staying there, at least from an outside perspective, um, it's presumably a battle. It's like staying in that zone as fleeting in nature as it seems, or is it just like a matter of consistent mechanics, confidence, et cetera? Yeah, man, there, you, you said it, that's, it's a, it's hard to do and it's hard to do for a long period of time. It's hard to do it inside of a back-to-back outings. You know um, there's a lot of things that go into it from travel and, you know, dealing with your own family issues or, you know, chaos in the world. Um, uh, there's just so many factors that go into it. And there was, there was two things that I learned quickly that I prided my on. It's, it's like a, my cheesy baseball saying uh, my, my two best abilities, the one being was availability. Uh, I wanted to make sure I did everything I could to make sure I was available to pitch as often as I could. Um, so availability was number one. And then reliability is kind of what you were talking about is I wanted to make sure that the manager and my teammates knew when I got into a game, what they were going to get. I wanted to be as consistent as I could be um, in performance. You know, I may not always have great outcomes, but you know that I'm going to put that same effort in time in and time out. And I'm going to ride that, that consistency train, that, that the ability to, to kind of, at least, you know, what you're going to get. I may not do what Edwin Diaz is capable of doing, but you know, when you come in, I'm going to give you uh, give you my, my all out effort and you know, kind of the gist of what I'm going to do. So those are my, my two biggest abilities. And I think it's one of the things that, that kept me around this game a long time was the, the ability to just be like, all right, well, it may not be the flashiest of things that this guy does, but we know what we're going to get. There's not going to be these huge, you know, ebbs and flows to where we got to send this guy down to work on his mechanics to get back to it. They're like, I'm going to be me. So that, I think that that touches a little bit on what you're, you're talking about. It kind of sounds like just staying within yourself, like knowing what you do and what, how, why and what's made you successful and just kind of sticking to that, not overwhelming yourself with too much. Yeah. I mean, again, you're, uh, you're touching on some huge points of, of kind of the way I, I 
have shaped my life and, and baseball has done a lot of it, but it's, it's knowing who you are, knowing what you are capable of, knowing what you can't do is just as important as knowing what you can do and uh, looking yourself in the mirror and truly evaluating your performance, both on the field, things that you're doing off the field. Uh, and that kind of carries over into how I go about my everyday life. It's like, I know what I can do. I know what I can't do. Um, and I'm going to push myself to do the best versions of whatever it is that I, I am doing. And if I can't do something, I'm not afraid to ask for help. And, and it's, it's carried me a long way. And, and, and just knowing who I am has been, uh, has been a, a revelation for me at an early age to just be able to understand what I bring to the table, my worth and, and move on from there. Ah, yes. The intersection of baseball and life. We are big believers in that on this side. uh, (laughs) I I always, uh, my friends and my wife, especially now that I'm home a lot more, I'm like, well, this reminds me of this baseball scenario in my life. So I'm always, I'm always talking about baseball and and different forms of, of life lessons. Oh yeah. Um, As far as the adjustments that I guess the constant adjustments made on the field, like the cat and mouse, if you will. How quick were those turnaround times against like MLB hitters? And I'm sure there's guys with varying degrees of plate discipline that were, you know, that could be taken advantage of. But like, what about the big dogs? Like, you know, yeah, well, what I know jumping into the psyche of a, of a battle between a major league pitcher and a hitter is probably tough to do. But, you know, I guess, well, what are the... Yeah, I guess, what are those turnaround times? Like, boy, I have to adjust to this guy because he picked up on my stuff really quick. Yeah. So um, there's a lot like I'll, I'll just flash back to what I what's going on today in a lot of today's game and what I did and the differences. So a lot of like today's game is this is my stuff as a pitcher. I do. I have a tremendous amount of ability to make people swing and miss. So I'm going to give you my pitches. I don't care who it is. This is what I do. You're going to have to hit me. Um, which is good. Like guys have tremendous ability to throw and spin a baseball in today's game. There's so much talent for me. I wasn't blessed with that capability of every pitch. Um, So my adjustments came mid a B mid mid. Every pitch was an evaluation, a reset of the chessboard. I would slow the game down because like anytime I faced Freddie Freeman or, or Bryce Harper or Daniel Murphy, it was a chess match and I had to think about it before I stepped on that rubber. I was a conversation. It was like, all right, he saw this. What is he looking for now? What's he trying to do in this situation? Is Daniel Murphy going to hit the ball the other way and not try to drive this ball in? Or is it Ichiro just looking for contact and, and finding a hole? Or is it, you know, Bryce Harper trying to take me deep? You know what I mean? Those are different scenarios and those change within every pitch inside of an AB, every pitch, every count changes a hitter's approach for the most part, the really good ones it does. Um, and so those are the, the in at bat, you know, mentality changes, approach changes that I was really good at and, and it helped prolong my career. And it was, that was my favorite part was the, the mental, you know, chess match of, of not just a physical outcome, but being able to outthink somebody and outmaneuver them within an at bat is, it's tremendous fun. I'm, I'm fortunate and so grateful to have done it for so long. Uh, your career kind of, I guess, bridged the the inception of today's very stat-influenced game. Um, you know, some players and teams have always dug deeper into tendencies than most. 
but it's pretty much become the norm across the board in recent years. What was that transition like from a player's perspective? Um, and did you lean very heavily on analytics for as far as, like you were saying, a, 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 a Freddie Freeman taking the other way or something like that? Um, I did mostly. So uh, scouting reports have changed quite a bit over the years. I, I embraced a lot of the scouting reports, but as far as changing what I do, I would take it, a lot of it with a grain of salt. So um, I'd get on the pitch tracks, get on the rap soto, get in front of a track man and, and really like throw my pitches, but I'm not trying to change what got me there. You know, I, I dance with what brought me there. And if, if, the saying goes, I'm always trying to improve, but you know, uh, mostly I'm, I'm just trying to stay within myself. I would mess around. I would tinker. I would add a pitch here or there, but for the most part, I'm just trying to be the best me. So, you know, I'm not trying to develop a, a slider all of a sudden because it, uh, when that was, when all that technology came, I'm at the end of my career anyway. And so, uh, the risk of injury, let alone, you know, not being good at it was, was a little bit too high for me. But as far as um, like the analytics, a lot of it was tendencies. So what, what does a guy do with bases loaded or runners in scoring position when a reliever comes in in the seventh inning? Those are things that like our data programs could bring up and tell me instantly that wasn't around before. It was something that like, I didn't even really think about as a statistic, it was something that you just learned through experience. Like, all right, I remember this guy. I've seen him like, you know, he's a patient hitter his first two times up. But if he's got runners in scoring position, he likes to jump on a fastball because he's been patient before. And so those are things that I would note down. But now you, it's a statistical fact. <laughs> They're like, this is what he does. And it, 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 that's what's great for the game. And that what that it added to my my weapons is like, I know what this guy does even if he doesn't know it i know it for a fact and so i was able to manipulate things inside of that so it was a an embrace but it's definitely different um for a lot of guys coming up now than it was for me oh sure and you have to wonder whether there becomes a point when all the all the information just i guess becomes too much and you just kind of like i i don't know I, from, from the outside looking in i guess i can only presume but um it's got to be a lot at times Oh, it is. It can be overwhelming. You get the the guys that do the analytics, The they will give you as much information as you want. They won't overwhelm you unless you want to be overwhelmed. I've tried to learn. I consider myself a fairly intelligent human, but most of those things are beyond me. Like there's a lot of things inside of it and there's so many different interpretations of of all that data there, a lot of it is kind of unknown. There's so much data in baseball. And I think that's why a lot of the really smart human beings are, are attracted to the game is because, you know, inside of all these little actions, there's just so much data from, you know, pitches to balls in play to foul balls. Like there's just so many data points and, and, it's beyond my realm of comprehension and there's much smarter people kind of analyzing that data and there will be moving forward. But for me, it's any information is good information, whether it, it's useful or not is, is up to you. Um, but the, the more you know about something, the, the better it's going to be for you. So I'm all for, you know, this information era. I think there's effects on the game that'll go and uh, that'll add and detract from the game. And you're, you're seeing kind of some of those things play out now. Um, but the game is going to evolve constantly and it's always going to be baseball though. There'll, there'll be 
eras and you know changes in approach but ultimately the game is a game of adjustments and it, whether it takes a week or five seasons or a decade baseball is still baseball all right beautifully put um you were just talking about spin and you're talking mm-hmm. about information in recent years you know spin and the ability to calculate spin it's become paramount and guys are doing just about anything anything they can to uh, to increase it uh, Pete Alonso mentioned on Wednesday that he'd be okay with pitchers using an approved substance to uh, improve their grip if it meant for safer conditions for hitters, pointing to Kevin Pillar's uh, terrifying hit by pitch earlier in the year is like a cautionary tale. Yeah. Uh, you shared some thoughts on Wednesday on Twitter. Um, I guess, could you expand on, I guess, the prevalence and policing of foreign grip substances, where it's led and what might be next? Yeah, there's a there's a, a lot in there from, from that, <laughs> that question. Um, the one being uh, Pete Alonso's comments. Like, I get it. That is 100% makes total sense to me why he would want that. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what it started out as being for the most part is guys were adding things to where a baseball. Pete talked about the the discrepancies of the baseballs from one point to the other, right? Uh, one season of baseball is like this, the next season they change it. Well, it's even, it's even more, there's even more discrepancy. Every baseball that you get as a pitcher feels different in your hand, uh, whether it's rubbed up differently, because these are all hand rubbed, mm-hmm. um, hand stitched, like all these things. There's, there's so many different fields of a baseball and, a lot of what I use sunscreen and rosin. So I would put sunscreen on my forearms and then I would grab the rosin bag and it would create um, like a sticky substance, but I I would only use it on the baseball itself. So if I got a baseball back and it felt really dusty, like when I first came up, it was in Oakland, uh, 50 degree nights consistently. uh, And you'd get that Marine layer off the bay there. And the ball would feel like a, a cue ball, a cold cue ball covered in chalk. And so what I would do is I literally would take that, the sunscreen and rosin and I would just rub the baseball and it would get rid of that dose, that dusty feel film. And then I would be able to grip the ball and throw it with confidence and know what it's going to do. Whereas, you know, a lot of that is a lot of the time, if, if you don't do that, that the, then you have no control and it gets back to what Pete's talking about and you lose the ability to, to do what you're trying to do with the baseball. And when a guy's throwing a hundred and his, his arm speed is so high and his release point is so fast that if you miss it by, you know, a fraction of an inch, it, it comes a foot and a half up and into a guy. And I understand that. So it definitely started out as being, just advantageous for the hitter as well as the pitcher, but with all this technology. So that being said, now we'll move on. (laughs) All this technology about spin and the importance of spin has become a recent phenomenon. And where I think baseball has failed is policing it. As soon as it became something that is an advantage, they should have outlawed or done something to, to, to nip it in the bud. Right. Because, guys are doing it and they're putting substances on their glove and guys are going to like, it stopped being about grip and it started to be about spin and manipulating the baseball. And that is when it crosses the line into illegal. And then 
all of a sudden, like it's not being policed. So every like team starts to, to promote it. Organizations start to promote it. Coaches start to promote it. Other players are starting to promote it because if you're not doing it, then you're going to get passed by because you look like if it, if nobody cares, why wouldn't you do it? That's the thing. Like if nobody, if nobody sees it as cheating, why, why wouldn't you do it? Because it's going to make you better. And so, and it's not like you're taking, you're not cheating by stealing a sign. You're not taking an illegal substance and making your body stronger. All you're doing is taking a substance and, and making your ball spin better. Well, now we know all the advantages that brings. It started to be it started to get a little get a little bit out of control and, and you see where it's gotten today. And so I think major league baseball is late to the show and starting to crack down on it. But I think it's, you know, better late than never. I think it's important. Um, it stopped being about grip and it started to be about advantage. And, and anytime somebody has an advantage, I think it's, it's unfair um, and it needs to be corrected. And I think we're seeing the, the results of that. Uh, would you, I guess, would you be on board with a regulated substance like next to the rosin bag on the back of the mound, a little deodorant stick with grip substance that's been regulated and approved by the league? Do you think that would solve the problem? I don't think it would solve the problem in a sense. I think that there should be some type of substance, not necessarily stick, but a substance that can oh, get yeah, rid yeah, of it. Yeah, that was an example. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that's a common example. If We should just make it legal, right? Well, I think that just – I think you should have a substance that creates – the that makes the baseball consistent with every baseball. You know, whether you're in, in Colorado, whether you're in the Bay Area, whether it's 50 degrees, whether it's 110 degrees in, in Atlanta, like the baseball needs to be – the baseball. You have to be able to control it. When it's really hot and humid in Atlanta and you don't have rosin, the, your sweat's flying off your arm, dripping down your hand, like the baseball can get slippery and swollen and it, the, it does different things. And if you're throwing hard, the ball, you don't know what the ball is going to do and it's going to it's going to change an outcome of, because of the way the baseball feels. And if I think there should be like sunscreen and rosin works perfect for that. It's not going to ramp up your, unless you abuse it, it's not going to ramp up your, your pitching. So like to where you're a, you're a different level of pitcher. It's not going to do that. What it is going to do is going to, it's going to take the film basically off of the baseball and make the baseball feel like it should in your hand. And so I don't think you should have a sticky substance next to it to where you can apply it to your fingers to make, make the ball spin better. But if there's something that like, Hey, this ball, you know, this ball doesn't feel right in hand. Give me a new baseball. Maybe it's something that you can just rub, rub the baseball with and it, and it gets rid of that film. It'd be helpful. And I mean, anything to kind of take the game in the right direction. Cause it's almost feels like it's manipulation to the point of um, a sinister it's, you know, it's getting to that point And, uh, it's beyond just the field guys are, there's a lot of money at stake in some cases. It's, it's, you know, and it's dangerous. Yeah. Look at yeah, there's, there's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of factors in there. And, yeah. and when I got, when I got in the minor leagues in 19 um, and also being at the alternate site this past year, every young pitcher that's a, that's a generation behind me 
every one of them are doing it. And it's because why, of course they're doing it because that's what they want you to do. And so that's when it's dangerous and every, every pitcher is doing it. You need to figure out how to not do that. So if you, if it's what separates you, if you can't control your pitches, then you're not ready for the big leagues. If you can't spin the ball, then sorry, bud, but you're not good enough. Like, you know, it it is what it is. And so it, it creates a, and you're back to being a level playing field. So I'm all for baseball still being reverting back to baseball. We went through steroid era, sign cheating. We went through all these things. This to me is, is not on that level of, of cheating. It, it's, you're not cheating, but it was on its way to being there. There's not like, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, I'm happy to see it start to, to get stamped down. Oh, for sure. Now, one of the guys that you had the, the pleasure of, of watching kind of grow, uh, he's doing some very impressive things these days. And presumably just by looking at his spin rates, they're all clean. Uh, Jacob deGrom has evolved into another breed of pitcher since 2018, I guess your initial last year in Queens. Um, what's your take on his ascent, this current level of dominance? You know, could you see this coming? Um. Yes. I, I, in, in <laughs> 2000, in, yes. <laughs> yeah. In 2000, I'd say his first Cy Young year, what was that? 17? Uh, 18. 18 was his first year. So in 2018, he was already the best pitcher by far I'd ever seen. I've been around a lot of pitchers. I've seen some of the grades pitch. Um, and my a highlight, a legit legitimate highlight of my career, I feel blessed to have seen that guy pitch every fifth day for an entire year in 18, because he's so much better than everybody. That is in 14, when I got to watch him the year he won his rookie of the year, I was on the other side in, in DC. And I was like, man, this guy's got really good stuff. He's he's smooth. It's it's great. But you see a lot of guys that have seasons like he had that come up um you're like oh man that guy's got potential and you you look at it and he's like you know could be a he could be a one or two you know you could be a front-end starter you never see a guy or very rarely do you see a guy that you're like you know steven strasberg you're like this guy could be a hall of famer well now that you see like what jacobs is doing you're like this guy can change baseball he's this guy is in a world class of his own he's you know, what Mike Trout did to hitting is what Jacob deGrom is doing to, to pitching. You may have flashes of, you know, really good guys like Max Scherzer is a Hall of Fame pitcher, but <laughs> he's not Jacob deGrom dominance. You know, he, he's done amazing things. He's probably the second best pitcher I've ever seen, uh, Scherzer, on a consistent basis. I mean, 20 strikeouts is untouchable. I don't think Jake will ever get there. I mean, he's got the ability, but like Scherzer's, uh, it's a different approach. Just but DeGrom, DeGrom is so dominant that it's like, uh, it's almost like, it's like seeing, uh, it's like seeing Edwin C. Moses run the hurdles. It's like watching <laughs> Usain Bolt do the, you know, do his, his sprint, like his race. Like you're seeing, 
it's Michael Phelps. Like you're seeing a level uh, that's, that's shattering, you know, Wayne Gretzky playing hockey. You're, you're seeing a guy do something so much better than everybody else on a consistent basis that it, you almost take it for granted. Yeah. I think Wayne Gretzky and, and Wayne, what, what Gretzky did in the eighties, that's probably a, a, a really good parallel because nobody yeah. ever seen anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's, and you can't even like, you can't even put it into words what he's doing because you're like, I, there's no comparison. Like you, you don't in, in an era of baseball where pitchers are elite, this guy is even better. Like it's unbelievable. It's, it's beautiful. He's a great human being on top of it. Like he's, I've seen him develop into the man he is today and kind of grow up and just be a humble, you know, good guy. And, and it's, it's wonderful to see, you know, somebody that's, that's that type of guy also have this type of success. And so it, it's just a testament to, to who he is, who his family is. He's able to, to just be himself and, and continue to be the best pitcher in baseball. Now, I guess, you know, the anchor that he's been to this current Mets team, um, the adversity that they, that they've faced. I mean, you have a familiar, you're, you're familiar with a, a, a large portion of this team now, of course, you're not in the clubhouse, but um, what are your feelings on, on the fact that these, you know, Louis Rojas has these guys playing well. Um, it doesn't, you know, this, this whole bench mob thing. Um, I'm sure you're watching from home. What are your thoughts on the current squad? I love this team. I think, I think they can do some amazing things in the, in baseball. I think this season is they, if they, if they all come together, if, if health, you know, starts to, to shine its light on them in a positive way, um, they're contenders, man, real world series contenders. Um, it's a testament to Louis Rojas to have these guys step up and play the supporting cast come in and, and, and carry the torch and, and really push this team and grab the baton and take off. They're not on paper supposed to be like this without their key players doing, you know, the things that they're doing. And that's, that's Zach Scott and that team and Sandy and, and Bryn Alderson, those guys that put this team together, they did a wonderful job of creating depth and it's Louis Rojas and, and the rest of the staff putting those guys in advantageous positions and, and, and letting them be themselves and helping them shine on a stage where New York is tough to place to play. Um, you're, you're, you get booed, you're Francisco Lindor, you sign a record breaking contract and you underperform at the plate and you wear it. Like that's hard to, to fathom. That's just scary thing for most people. Um, and you're having guys that haven't been, pillars of an organization before step into the limelight here and really excel. I think that's a culture thing. I think that's a, that's an organizational thing. And I think Mets fans should be really excited about the future, not just this season, but the way things are shaping the way the team is playing now, looking forward, that's gotta be, gotta be a beacon of, you know, it started with, with new ownership. And I think you've got to be really impressed with how they're, how they're going and what direction they're moving. Oh, just, you know, only moving forward. And for so long, it was either stagnancy or constantly moving back. And, you know, almost in every facet, they just keep on moving forward and on the field, off the field, the hires that they've made, the, the, the push towards, you know, the metrics and it's, yeah, it's, it's exciting as a, as a fan and as a blogger who covers the team, it's, it's extremely exciting. 
Um, Jerry, that's that's all I got on my end, man. I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today. Oh, no worries, man. I hope I didn't get too long winded. I tend to do that, Tim. Oh, dude, I could I could have I could have stayed on for hours. I just feel bad. My producer has to edit. This is awesome. I'm not, yeah, maybe that's a good conversation. I'm not exactly sure how um, <laughs> how good of a content that is, but we'll see. Oh, yeah. Hey, th- this was this was outstanding. Um, please, and I know that you've got your hands full with the family at home, and really all the best with that. But if you'd ever like to come back on, you're always welcome, man. I appreciate it, man. I, again, thank you. And uh, congrats again on, on passing a hundred and on to, I think we're one Oh one. So yes, we are. uh, I hope you get to a thousand and one. Thank you so much, man. And uh, really all the best. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good day. There you have it. Another huge thanks to Jerry Blevins for coming by and discussing everything. That was awesome. Uh, again, the Mets have the Padres in town this weekend. If anyone's going to the game, enjoy it. It's supposed to be a really, really nice weekend. I know a lot of you are just getting back to the stadium for the first time. Savor that, friends. Absolutely savor it. Have a great time. Um, yeah, I hope we'll be back on Monday, hopefully, with a very, very eventful uh, weekend to discuss. Let's go Mets, everybody. Peace. Yeah!